This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing, of course, their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix, helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork Allgate. My name is David Breer from 11FS, and I'm joined today by Nigel Walsh. How's it going, Nigel? I'm fantastic. Even though I don't know how we've got to Thursday so quickly, but all is good. I know. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's been a while as well, right? I don't know the last time you and I have been in a room together. Can I call you Sarah? <laughs> feel, feel free. <laughs> well, we should say at that note that the regular host, Sarah Kachansky, is currently on a bit of a tour around the planet. So she's starting over in New Zealand doing some client work, which is awesome. And if that wasn't awesome enough, she gets to fly over to Vegas and have some fun for Money 2020. But um, I'm told normal service will be resumed, so please hold all of your complaints about me. Uh, it'll be fine. She'll be back soon. Um, we're joined by a fantastic guest, and I'm definitely going to butcher your name, but let's give this a go. So, Renault Million? Yeah. Oh, nailed it. And you're the CEO of Spixie. Correct. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Sure. Thank you very much for the invite. Um, so Spixi, we design, build, and maintain in automated insurance services. So it's customer-facing chatbots with their applications to basically automate some of the small services, insurance services, with the end customers. From distribution to claim, going through customer service with renewal and changing address, for instance. Fantastic. There must be a lot of uh, call for that right now. Sure, the, the the market is really hot. Uh, it's really like uh, on the top priority of the uh, insurance leader to scale their business because it's about accepting more customers, servicing them, so having the right digital capabilities for them. And one of the key examples is the um, is what we do on claims uh, for Zurich in the UK on motor and car. We are now a chatbot, Zara, Zurich Automated Response Agent, is absorbing 20% of their online claim for motor and car. Wow, cool. And where are you working at the moment globally? Is it um, mainly the UK or in global? Um, European. Yeah. So our headquarters in the UK, we have a team of data science in Italy and also developers in India. And we are just now starting to get some projects outside of Europe. So we could potentially say EMEA. But I don't know if one just counts to say EMEA. Otherwise, it's really many. <laughs> Definitely say EMEA. Oh. Cheers, Nigel. But otherwise, it's really Europe. Yeah. Oh, well, world domination ahead. That's uh, super cool. Thanks for joining us. Um, okay, well, let's get on with the show. Uh, we're going to be following the usual format, not to annoy Sarah too much, which is good while she's away. So we'll be taking a bit of a whistle-stop tour through everything that's happened in the insurance news this week. First up, we've got a story which is Brexit exodus to I Ireland. Well, this is kind of a, an interesting one. So this is Insurance Times, and we've got AXA XL moving European arm out of the UK ahead of Brexit. Uh, it's pretty amazing, actually, when you start reading through this, the amount of people who have uh, announced its post-Brexit plans, including a, a bit of a, a, a kind of an escape route out to somewhere else. So we've seen QBA, uh, RSA, Lloyds, Liberty, etc. Um, what do we think about this one? Is this just prudent planning or is this actually, um, you know, a more worrying trend? It's beyond prudent planning. It's it's what we need to do to exist as organisations and service large European uh, conglomerates anyway. So I, I think it's, a, it's an essential strategy to stay 
in business going forward and service those clients that you have. There was a piece in the Insurance Times also last week about Lloyds of London uh, and their new home. It's been a long emerging trend. And I'm sure you'll you'll, you'll find the same from the fintech uh, side. Um, I think there's a couple of fintechs that have announced new homes uh, throughout Europe. So Ireland's done very, very well. Germany's done very, very well. Um, the French have been on an assault. I know you might be able to comment on this, but they've been on an assault for attracting UK businesses abroad uh, to ensure that we've got the passporting and everything else that we need for um, continuing to operate accordingly. Yeah, true. I mean, the, um, we see a lot of businesses as well going to um, to Paris. I mean, it's, it's, it's just only two hours, to be honest, uh, from London. And um, Is this a pitch? Suddenly it's like... No, Paris, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm just French. It's, but I've, it's I've, beautiful I've, I've, in the autumn. <laughs> it's only two hours away. Yes. <laughs> Visit France. It's great train service. I am the Irishman, right? So you're Irishman, an Englishman, and a Frenchman. What could go wrong here? Yeah, it's true, correct. And um, so, yes, I mean, clearly it's uh, it's also impacting the feed tech, to, uh, to go back to the point, uh, especially when it comes to attracting talents. Uh, when we read the news and we see that uh, Brexit maybe have a negative impact for the economy for the next three years, it's not really strong as a selling point to get new talents. So I'm not really surprised that it's also uh, on the top of priority and saying that big players one of the largest AXA Excel doing it, absolutely. But I think everyone has to do it, right? If you're writing large commercial business across multiple geographies, you have to be able to do this to be able to operate and, and uh, engage in multiple countries. Lloyd's has opened this subsidiary in Brussels, as an example. They came out last week, I think it was last week, a week before last, before Inga uh, stepped down for John Neal and talked about how they're then going to um, pay all claims across multiple entities going forward. So it's, it is a must-do. The one that intrigues me is talent. Is it really causing an impact on talent? <sighs> It just is not as straightforward as it used to be maybe four or five years ago. When we saw like all the parts of different, of, of London like really exploding and having a lot of talents, having like the dream of really coming to London. It's not usually, I mean, we don't see like this, this strength or this force as strong as it used to be. And, and yet talking to other colleagues or other fintech, uh, on the other side of the, of the sea, um, it's clearly, uh, booming also on the other side. So, so, so we can see the kind of the equilibrium that change a bit and, and clearly like Brexit has to play a, a part in this equilibrium. So the AXA CEO said, we took the decision to redomicile, uh, Elixir. I don't know why that's, they've kind of made that name a little bit more complicated than just XL, but, um, to Ireland to ensure our clients and brokers benefit from continuity of service. So that kind of makes sense. Like I, I personally, I feel like this is a, a sensible step that they're taking. It feels like it's, it is prudent planning, but it's, it's making sure that they've got all of their bases covered. But I guess, um, personally, I'm just hoping it all goes away, but we will see if anywhere, if I'm taking, 11FS anywhere outside of the UK. It's going to be Norway. I'm not going to kid, kid after this week, but um, you know, France would definitely be a, a joint uh, joint third. All right, moving on. We've got a story on the insurance business mag. This is SME cyber attacks. Bum, bum, so Hiscox reveals volume of cyber attack attempts against small businesses. So this is that a estimated 65,000 attempts every day in capital letters. The approximation was based on tests undertaken by Hiscox Cox to monitor in real time the number of attempted breaches on a decoy computer system, which sounds like they basically like rigged up one of those seals behind a boat and got a great white shark to kind of attack it, that type of vibe. But it's an interesting one. Like for me, the thing that I found surprising about, about this, if I'm honest with you, was that 65,000 seems like a small number given the amount of small businesses actually in the UK. It's a scary number, isn't it? However you look at this, it, the small businesses are the bread and butter of society at the end of the day. It's what, 95, 98, 99, it's north of 90. Um, 
and you walk into your local high street or your local village shop and go, actually, what would happen if their credit card machine went down or something went wrong? And actually, my wife had this this week in a shop with one of her friends. Uh, her car was declined. Her second car was declined. She thought, oh, God, I've been hacked, whatever else. Then her friend's car was declined. And it was a machine that went down. Mm. Three hours later, still nothing. They're not trading whatsoever. Would you mind getting us cash uh, was the answer to the question. So, um, and that might have been just a simple technical error, but actually taking out businesses through these cyber attempts is getting really, really serious right now. Uh, Gareth was on the show previously from, from Hiscox. Um, I think he said something along the lines of 60% of businesses, of small businesses that have a cyber attack go out of business within six months. It is a, a stunningly horrible statistics. Large organizations can weather the storm, know how to deal with it, have proper cover, have all the things that go around it. But I generally worry that small businesses are really vulnerable in this space. Mm. Well, it's, I, I guess the, with the trend for small businesses of everything becoming, you know, digital from, like you say, from points of sale being, you know, mobile phones to uh, the fact that everybody's accounting is being done digitally, then, you know, I believe technology is moving quicker than people's real understanding of how to protect themselves. So, you know, being in a situation where you've now got all of your P&L, your cash flow, all of these things uh, accessible through one portal, then it's kind of exposing businesses to really catastrophic problems, isn't it? We sound like we're selling insurance for cyber insurance here, Nigel, but we're, I can kind of welcome, see the point. Welcome to the team. Uh, you, you see really, really quickly, and there's some really great folks out there doing some stuff. So Hiscox do some great stuff, Beasley, um, Excel, oh, sorry, AXA, Excel. Uh, Chubb, there's so many great organizations writing scale business for cyber where boards understand the implications of their organizations being taken out, uh, in some cases in no time at all, and then being held at ransom to get back online. And if you're a small optician chain with three shops that can't trade, what do you do? Mm. Well, you probably go out of business pretty quickly, as as uh, as the stats show, I guess. Um, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was just um, trying to put things into context. If you think that there are 5.5 million SMEs in the UK, 65,000 attempts every day, it means like every business on average a year will be attacked 4.5 times. Sorry, I just put my actual hat on on, uh, on, on this one when I see numbers, I just can't help. And uh, it's it's absolutely um, terrifying. And, um, and, and, and clearly, it reminds me like a quote that I saw from, uh, the, the, the CEO of Cisco saying that there is two types of companies in the world. One who has been hacked and one who doesn't. Okay. And it's clearly part of this article. It's, uh, it's something that we, that we see and we're not surprised. We are a small, uh, and medium enterprise, mm -hmm. uh, as a, as an insure tech, part of the fintech. And, uh, and it's clearly something that we absolutely, are uh, mental about like the security when we onboard, when we when we offboard, when we onboard new clients as well. It's extremely important, and we are in the tech environment. So I'm just thinking, businesses who are outside of the tech might not have the literacy when it comes to tech or the or or the skills how vulnerable they can be. I'm glad there are some insurance out there. Hopefully, they can bait in a easiest way online. On as the well. flip side, as an insure tech entrepreneur that's built a business from scratch, do you see? this being a barrier for working with some of the incumbents. So you're engaged with some of the, the large carriers that are out there, then putting you through your paces for a platform that's cloud-based. You will go through various different cloud committees or um, risk officers accordingly in an insurance organization. I know this firsthand. How, how has that been an impediment to you getting through and getting customers signed up? It's a very good question. So our first client was Allianz. So straight, really enterprise level. Uh, and we had to have the right 
governance procedures and compliance in place. And we spend a lot of time investing, building the right architecture with all the privacy by design, all the protection, the security behind it, the encryption into the chatbot when we are with the end customer. Once you do it once and you try to, to, um, to have like all the architectural documents that you can convince one client, then you can convince the other and becomes actually a, a strength to onboard even more clients. And one thing that we see coming back to this point on security and, 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 and technology is more and more insurance companies are adopting the cloud. They're not yet at the era of having fully everything digital, but just having the cloud moving from on-premises to cloud simply by, because sometimes the cloud is more secure, which is quite interesting and might reduce actually the, the exposure to, to all these attacks because this number of attacks can only increase, to be honest. Ultimately, you're still responsible as the carrier for customer data and everything else that goes around it. So they're not giving away the responsibility or the ownership of, of, of that customer piece. If they outsource it to someone else, they expect it to be dealt with in, a, in, a, in an appropriate fashion, right? Yeah, I, I think it's and it, that's a really interesting point. It's um, many a time people, big organizations hold third parties, external parties to a higher standard of provision of service than they do sometimes the internal uh, services because of how contracts are kind of set up. But um, it's an interesting one, though, that uh, more and more cyber attacks are happening in lower benefit wins because you know we i know we've had uh andy mcguire on from uh hsbc who runs their so cio globally for those guys uh, over on in fintech insider but um i think they have nearly sixty-five thousand attempts uh like uh, every couple of hours quite frankly just on them um so but they are a very large target that there is a very large benefit to getting in behind their firewall um you know small organizations really the benefit of you know penetrating their services must be very very small so you know it's almost like a sign of the times that the the effort to uh you know infiltrating systems is becoming lower and lower therefore people can you know cast many more stones really it's it's gone beyond opportunists and i'm not sure if this is on the last podcast or with a session that we ran for for clients previously but the art of site, the art of attacking and um, securing access to information isn't just a hobby anymore, and it never really was. It is a full time job. If you monitor the traffic for people making attempts at your network, you can actually spot the time they start, the time they stop, the time they take breaks for lunch. It is a job to them, and their job is to get access to your um, systems, to secure information, to plant seeds that uh, will will take place later on. And it's a full time job. In the same way that we have KPIs and measures and whatever else we have to grow our own businesses and, and protect. Them, they have exactly the same thing. These are full-time jobs for people to get access to and take out other organizations. It's amazing. I wonder if they get pension and healthcare. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Maybe it's uh, not demand insurance opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Insurance for hackers. It's the next thing. Okay. Uh, but insurance on Amazon, maybe. Um, so this is a story over on uh, Coverager. Not yep. sure if I was saying that right. Chefian team. Uh, so this is Map Free is now on Amazon. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of saw this and thought, ooh, Amazon doing more insurance stuff. Because I guess every couple of months or every couple of weeks right now, actually, there's a, a story sort of involving these guys doing a thing. And But are we maybe reading too much into this one? This is leading Spanish insurer Map Free announced that it has signed a strategic agreement with Amazon Spain. So as part of the agreement, Map Free will offer its products on Amazon.es via a branded storefront. This is kind of interesting, right? I love it. Even this morning, we, I was at an event this morning where I was uh, giving some updates to folks on what was going on. And the question comes up, what's happening with Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple? You'd almost like to think we've moved on from this after ha- how many years? 
but it's still, it's almost, imagine the scared cat that you just shot that goes into the mode of, you know, all paws going up and ears pricked up. As soon as what Amazon has mentioned, the fear of God has launched into people about insurance or, 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 or banking, I think, to be fair. This follows the announcement last week from travelers around a partnership with, with Amazon again. My argument's been... Amazon's supply chain is outstanding. If you want to order anything on those guys, you know it's with you in two hours for Prime or next day for anything else. And insurance companies have been leveraging that for way longer than most people think. So it's not necessarily new news. Selling insurance through Amazon is new news or the partnership that they're on the storefront. Um, the, the thing that Travelers did last week around connected devices, security cameras, water sensors, smart hub. Really interesting, given some of Amazon's acquisitions around uh, cameras and ring and all that sort of stuff. It's actually quite nice to see how the ecosystem comes together. Um, but it, the question around Amazon always comes back to me is, are they going to become a risk carrier or not? Or are they part of the overall end-to-end value chain? And I suspect it's the latter, not the former. Mm, it does look like this is purely, you know, leveraging their ability to with credit cards and, you know, as a distribution point rather than actually doing anything. You know, as as you say, this is them, you know, selling somebody else's product for them, which I, like I'm sort of torn on, if I'm honest with you, because I'm getting increasingly sort of one of those people who are very lazy about going and finding their wallet. You know, it was why, why PayPal was really successful. It was just the button. So now if I can go to Amazon for everything, like I kind of feel like I would probably do that, really. Um, uh, without doubt, I should say it's actually the former, not the latter. I got that completely wrong. I don't believe there'll be a risk carrier. I was with a company last week or so week before last in Vegas a uh, German insurance company began 11 or so years. They've leveraged the end-to-end ecosystem for dental insurance, DFW, great case study, um, Amazon Pay, Amazon Login, Amazon Alexa to do quotes and everything else. That for me says Amazon is leveraging or they're leveraging the Amazon ecosystem to do all the things that you do today. You can log in and get everything done and it's all done in a seamless and easy to use way. That to me is Amazon in the insurance space. It's amazing that that's them sort of doing like Squarespace for insurance. You know, like they're they're giving you the website and giving you the distribution point and all the payments capability, but they're they're uh, you guys are taking the risk and creating the product. Like that's, it comes down to trust, isn't it? So so the Facebook stories that have been going around around data and what's not. Would I log into my insurance company with Facebook or Amazon if I had a choice? Renaud, what would you do? Tough question. Um, possibly Amazon, you're right. Mm. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, like Facebook have given me 3D pictures these this week, last couple of weeks. Cool. So okay. to be honest with you, they can have all my day here if I can do some, take some 3D pictures. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So we have digital insurance investment. So this is in, on Insurance Business Mag. This is Greenlight Re reveals click to sure investment. Now, I have to admit, I know nothing about this one at all. Nigel, what do you know? So, so I, I literally read the story like yourself. Um, the, the thing that's interesting for me here is, is two things. Um, three things. One, the region that which they're going after in terms of South Africa, I think is interesting because there's more and more popping up around how we engage our consumers. And, and again, this is no different. Um, two, the number of platforms in this space for digitally insur- digitally enabled insurance platforms. My list must go north of 100 right now of companies that are in this space that either have a SaaS platform, an insurance platform, an adjacent platform. I generally believe most of the insurtechs are still solving the core system challenge, claims, policy, billing, digital engagement. And they've taken away all the legacy burden. And then the third thing that's really interesting for me, I continue to be committed to the fact that the reinsurers have the most to gain by jumping 
the ship completely from the primary carriers and investing in direct routes to market. So those three things alone for me here make this really interesting about how they then enable the market directly rather than through a primary carrier. How do you find on that one? I know we've been um, we've been having a couple of conversations with uh, people around uh, with everything that we're doing with Foundry around platforms for insurance specifically. So uh, the the sort of um, intertwined nature of the way in which you create products to the way in which the claims processes work because it feels like there's a you can either go slice by slice by slice or you can take a if we create the products in the right way then the claims process actually becomes a uh, actually a much simpler engagement um I, I feel like lots of insure techs are basically like you say taking those little slices from it rather than addressing the the big picture which is well how do we create products in a new way rather than in the siloed way that we we've done in the past. So there's a couple of questions in that. So the, the first one is, what are what are insurers trying to solve in the first instance and why have they gone for these startups? And the answer usually is they say, how do we get product speed to market quickly? How do we get new things in in six weeks, not 12 or nine months or whatever it might be? And companies are doing that by leveraging new platforms or technologies such as Spixia or whatever else to get out there and engage in a different way. This is what we talk about in the right to left about engaging on the customer and stuff like that. On the claim side... Not all platforms are created equal. So if you look at the, the monolithic platforms that are out there, the legacy players that have a brilliant job and a position in the market still, they will do modularly claims, policy, billing, underwriting, et cetera, et cetera. There is a place for those guys. Many of the newer guys focus on one part of it. So they'll focus on the quote to buy. They'll focus on underwriting. They'll focus on everything else other than claims, actually. There's not, I don't believe, I've still not seen it, enough folks that are doing either pure claims, they do elements of it. We've had Wright and Dem talk to us in the past uh, and a whole host of others, but they don't do end-to-end claims in the way that, say, Guidewire would. And Guidewire, for me, is the gold standard in doing uh, end-to-end scale claims. There are platforms, I know you mentioned Slice and no pun intended, but you look at what Tim Atty is up to with Slice. Um, that's a company that's actually got claims and policy and other capability in that in, in that one package. So I think depending on what they're trying to achieve in the business request, there is plenty of platforms out there that customers have engaged with to meet that request, which then might then plug back into a legacy architecture. So you might just say, we're going to do the front end and get a product out there. And for anything else above and beyond that, let's plug back into our external rating, external claims, whatever it might be. It's a, it's a dangerous territory because to your point, people will slice budgets and invest in it for a claims thing or invest in it for a, a quote and buy as you say but um, you're basically creating all of these silos in those platforms aren't you at that point because you're you're putting you're taking one piece of legacy out you're replacing it with a new piece but essentially your operating cost end to end will still be higher um, so it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how that that shakes out but this is the evolution of revolution I always keep saying that the insure techs are helping evolution they're adding they're squeezing the current process, so adding in a chatbot from the Spixi or adding in um, extra capability is actually increasing our cost of serve or increasing our total cost of run, but actually engaging the customers the way they expect to be engaged. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about scaling, scaling the businesses. And um, and I, I join you on, the, on, the, on this point, Nigel. I, I really believe on transformation is not something which is a revolution, like a 180 degrees shift, but rather like a two degrees shift at a time in the right direction, successor from successor, leaders from leaders, CEO after CEOs. And, um, and, and it's clearly what we do. Uh, for the example of, uh, of Zurich, which is also public, they save 30% of their time on the whole claim process. So actually everything is reducing time, cost, and now with potential to scale. So it becomes really, really interesting. What I really like here about, uh, Greenlight 3 and, uh, Click to Show, 
agree. South Africa is a really interesting uh, market, which might do actually a leapfrog in terms of technology from where they were to where they can be. Interesting market, growing and really different products as well, especially when it comes to life insurance. And from innovation, it shows also that the partnership is not only with insurer, but also with reinsurer. And, and it's good to see like a new name in, in, in the press from the three the classic ones. That always get quoted time and time again. But the usual suspect. So it means that the competition is coming in terms of innovation, which is really healthy. Yeah. I, I, I found it. So I, 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 I can care with that. The worry for traditional incumbent CIOs is they end up with a portfolio or a legacy estate that has both the existing lights on stuff and then lots more periphery components that need to be collected by old-fashioned ESB or modern microservices or whatever else. What I like about these guys as well, though, is their partnerships. So people like um, Uber, WeFix, and a few others that says actually they're addressing a new market opportunity as well. So um, I, I welcome all these guys. I think there'll be a consolidation in this space. We've already seen some in Germany where I think um, it's quite mature. We've seen NIP acquire. Uh, we've seen big investments from people like AXA. They've put 55 or $35 million into one ink. Um, so a really interesting space, platforms of the future, given what you guys were doing with Foundry and everything else, is a really interesting spot. I still go back to the, and I will finish this article one of these days, every InsureTech is fixing the core system challenge. Well, we're on it next, Nigel. Watch the space. Uh, right. Up next, we have uh, calls for the Chancellor to drop IPT on charities. So this is a story over on Insurance Times. Calls for the charity exemption on IPT, which is the insurance premium tax. This sort of just sort of sounds like it makes sense, right? You know, like giving uh, in the uh, charities uh, an ability to, you know, reduce some of the uh, taxes that are actually being paid on the the things that are actually coming through from. So apparently the average charity is paying about £300 in IPT on top of their insurance premium. So, you know, anything that we can do to um, reduce that and get more of the money that's being given to those guys actually going to good causes seems sensible. Without a shadow of a doubt, I, I was a trustee for a charity for about 14 years. Um, equally, they're exempt from certain things around VAT, which makes them interestingly competitive. So I worked in the health and leisure industry uh, with those guys and they compete against the big private sector and organizations. One of the things that was a benefit to them was they didn't have the VAT cost, which made their proposition actually slightly better uh, or more cost effective because they didn't have that 20% overhead. Um, IPT is very specific to UK insurance premium tax. Over the last couple of years, it's raised from six to 12. And again, the chancellor's looking to potentially raise it again. Um, the ABI ran a campaign just last week or week before last around um, IPT is not fair with lots of industry execs getting behind it and tweeting a, a, a video around responsible business owners doing the right thing and being penalized as a result of it. So um, whilst many people see the premiums going up, they don't necessarily see the breakdown or choose to look at the breakdown. Actually, the premium might have gone down, but the IPT might have gone up. So net net, people look at the top level and go, my price has gone up, not seeing that the premium tax has actually doubled in that period of time. But in answer to your question, why are we charging this for charities? Yeah. I mean, it's doesn't, bad. Yeah, it doesn't make a great deal of sense, does it? All right, let's move on. Uh, and on to the end, finally, this week. So this is a story from The Drum. This is Farmers Summon the Undead Halloween-themed life insurance spots. And on that, though, I'm going to watch the video and let's come back to this. I know. The inevitability of death is frightening. But so is worrying about what might happen to your loved ones after your mortal race is run. So make this Halloween the time you finally talk to farmers about life insurance. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Still nothing. 
I'm pretty sure, like, the dead have got to be exempt from some sort of policy on this one, right? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the, the campaign centers around three undead spots. So this is Incardio of the Dead. Lovely pun there. Uh, zombie jog, jogger limps down a path, checking her pulse to no avail. Still nothing, she says. Uh, we've got Van Hiking. Obviously a Van Helsing thing, uh, but decked out in mountain climbing gear. And we've got Downward Sphinx, which is a kind of Halloween yoga move, I guess. I'm looking at Laura here. You're the probably the most healthy one in the room. It's like downward dog on wrong. I guess, yeah. So, But I, I love the, um, the thing here. The final tagline for the undead is the sinister, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, followed by rest in peace of mind this Halloween. This is nice. This is these guys showing they've got a bit of a sense of humour, right? It's a bit of fun. Insurance has been long been known for opera singers, lizards, um, meerkats, you name it. We, we've seen this talked on the show a long time. When financial services rely on characters to bring back the links, it's an interesting place to be. But a bit of fun all the same. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Like showing you've got a sense of humor in fi financial services, it doesn't have to be boring, right? It's true. It's always been really tricky anyway for insurer to try to make some some ads to sell insurance. So we do appreciate the uh, the effort. And uh, yeah, I mean... And life insurance is particularly hard, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, life insurance is usually sold on like fear, but this is humor. So that's good. And on that note, it wraps up another episode of InsureTech Insider. So Nigel, where can people find a little bit more about you? You'll find me making far too much noise on Twitter, Nigel Walsh. Lovely. And where can somebody find more about you, Mr. Million? Maybe at one of these uh, InsureTech conferences coming this year, which is just absolutely packed. Um, otherwise, LinkedIn or website. Fantastic. And you can find me at David Breer on Twitter. As always, uh, if you like what you've heard, you can find us on Twitter at Instech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Uh, if you've got any suggestions or any feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email us on podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much. 